Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church slash my story. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Today's message is from our series called Better Half. In this series, we're taking on the complex world of love and relationships by asking ourselves what it means to be a better me. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. So I want to thank those of you who are here today. Again, you're jumping into part three, the final uh, week of our Better Half, our relationship series. And so today uh, is going to be a great day. I want to thank those of you who are joining us online and watching us uh, or listening online today. We welcome you as well. So it takes two people. And last week we talked about two people that when it comes to that, that often we think that, you know, someone completes us and that, you know, that's a, that's a myth, that God completes us. A spouse and a partner may complement us in life, but, but they don't complete us, that only Christ can complete us. And so it takes two people, two people who are wholly submitted, fully submitted to God to make a better half. And we talked about how two holes make a better half. And this week, we're going to talk about, again, kind of expanding a little bit more on this idea of mutual submission. So when two people are fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit and allowing Jesus to be at the center of their life, then he enables us to be mutually submitted to each other. And that's the key to a successful marriage, to a successful relationship. If you can remember back, some of you may be shorter than other, back to your wedding day. And I love doing weddings. They're always fun and people love, you know, it's just a joyous time. And you, you get to the vow part and some people like to write their own vows. But there's something that you said and you made this commitment to your spouse one day. You said, I, whoever, take you, whoever, to be my husband wife, to be my constant friend, my faithful partner and my love. In the presence of God, our family, our friends, I offer you my solemn vow to be your faithful partner in sickness and health and good times and bad and joy as well as sorrow. From this day forward, I promise to love you unconditionally, support you in your goals, to honor, to respect you, to laugh with you, to cry with you, to cherish you for as long as we both shall live. So help me God. We made this amazing vow, this huge commitment to each other. And it's easy to say, especially on your wedding day. But those of you who have been married a little longer than, you know, a few weeks realize that once the honeymoon's over, those vows are are easy to say, but they're a lot harder to live out. Can I get an amen from the married people today? It's very difficult to live out. Why is that? Well, we talked about last week just the, the difference between men and women. It's no wonder that it's hard to, to live that out, that we're very different human beings, we're very different creatures, and so there's obviously going to be some challenges when we pull these two halves together to try to make a whole. And the way that we have to, to do that, the only way we can do that is by living surrender to the Holy Spirit, keeping Jesus at the center of our relationship. And so we don't just tie to each other. We put Jesus at the center. And as we get this this vertical relationship down with with God and and allowing the Holy Spirit to live through us, then we can love and have the marriage that God wants us to have. So in order to do that, Paul gives us some advice that 
You have to give your life to the Holy Spirit. You have to allow him to control. And when we do that, this is what a spirit-guided relationship should look like. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we talked about this last week. You're not always going to feel like submitting. They're not always going to deserve that from you. But we do it because it's what Christ did for us. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. And we talked about the family unit, the relationship. In any good organization, there's always someone who's leading the way. And, and God established the man to lead the way in, in, in the, the family and to lead the way spiritually and to lead by example. And so, ladies, you know, that word submission and submitting to someone can be challenging, but not in the way that Paul says the man is supposed to lead. You will willingly submit when he leads the way that he calls us to. So it says, for a husband, this is, is the head, but as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit yourselves to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Jesus Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her, this sacrificial love. So this is the way men are supposed to be loving their wives. goes on in verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery but an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So Paul introduces this idea of mutual submission. And to me, this is the game changer when it comes to our relationships. When it comes to two married people joining their lives together, it's this idea that we mutually submit to one another. It's life-changing. Where you approach it, and it's an attitude change. It's, 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 it's different from culture. It's different from, from everything we hear where we approach the attitude where you say, I am going to leverage my assets my time, and my power for your benefit. Just as Jesus submitted himself to me, I'm going to do the same thing for you. This is what Paul is saying. This is the approach we take to our relationship. And when a husband and wife come together with this attitude of mutual submission, it's very powerful. But you can't do that naturally. Nothing in you is going to want to submit Even hearing that word makes me think of like UFC fighting, right? That my wife is going to have to get me in an arm bar or a rear naked choke to make me do what I should do as a husband, right? That's what we kind of think of in submission. And so we have to remember last week that, that the key part of that is living a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit to dictate our attitude and our actions. And when we do that, then we'll be able to submit to our spouse. But you can't try to submit to your spouse if you aren't surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It won't happen. You are naturally a selfish creature who desires your own way. And the Spirit gives you desires that are opposite of your flesh. So allowing the Spirit, and we established last week, how do we do that? How do we live surrendered to the Spirit? So make sure you go back and watch that. So if your marriage is going to work, if it's going to be the type of relationship that God wants it to be, you're going to have to learn how to mutually submit to one another. And for some of you today, depending on where you're at, but in a room this size with as many couples we have here, there's probably some of us who are in difficult spots and, and there's tension in the relationship and there's conflict that we're trying to work through and resolve. And I just want to say this morning, for some of you, if you want the marriage you've never had, 
You're going to have to be willing to do something you've never done, to take this approach and attitude into your relationship. The, the simplified message of mutual submission is, is simply this. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. In this relationship, I am here to you. And the question that mutual submission begs of us to ask of each other is this. What can I do to help? Look at your neighbor if you're married today. Just look at your neighbor in general. Hopefully you're sitting next to your spouse if you are married. And just, just say that right now. What can I do to help you? Right? That's a powerful question. And, and, and men, we're scared of this question because it's a long list. Right? It's a long list. You know, I, don't, I never ask Jess that question until after the kids have been, you know, bathed and fed and are ready for school, right? I don't ask that first thing in the morning. I, I, I don't know if I can handle that, that kind of responsibility first thing. But it, it's, it's a tough thing to ask. And women, you know, oftentimes, you know, it, it's a struggle for them to even ask that question and to be there because they already are helping so much and carrying a lot of the load. So it's difficult to really do that. But Mutual submission says, you know, what can I do to help? That I am here for you, all that I am, for all that you need me to be. And this is very difficult to live out, but that is the question we should be asking each other every day. And if we take that approach, I'm here to serve you, and, and it's, it's reciprocated, and I'm here to serve you as well, when that happens, it's a powerful combination. And unfortunately, we would love to have it both ways, where you know, where, where we can, you know, someone's here to serve us because that's what we want. We talked about last week, love is you before me, but, but what we really want is me before you. That's what I desire. I want, I want my needs to be met first, but we can't have it both ways and have a healthy relationship. Let's look at what Paul, how he described Jesus and the way that he approached his relationship with us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble Thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up, listen here, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his divine rights. He gave up what was rightfully due to him, and he took the position the humble position of a slave, and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. So when Jesus came into this earth, when he came here, his sole mission was to establish relationship between God and his creation. And he had to to die for our sin in order to make that happen. So the dilemma that Jesus faced was this, that if I want relationship, and that was why he came, I have to be willing to die to who I am. He couldn't have it both ways. And Jesus opted for relationship over his personal rights. He gave up his rights. He submitted them to us so that he could have relationship with us. He couldn't have it both ways. He couldn't hold on to his rights and have relationship. And you and I can't either. We can't have it both ways. We can't hold on to what's due to me, what's owed to me. Hold on to what's rightfully mine. You see, what happens is in relationships is we, we go into them and we make these vows on the front end. 
And we go into a, a marriage relationship with desires and expectations that this is the way it's going to be. And eventually, you know, at some point, because we're flawed human beings, the, the, the expectations don't get met. And if we're not communicating and if we're not approaching relationships with this idea of mutual submission, then what we begin to do is we begin to collect debts of what our spouse owes us. Well, I had this expectation and you didn't live up to it, so that's a debt. You now owe me. And, and, then, and then it happened again. And so we begin to collect debts and really it becomes unrealistic for anyone to be able to pay those. And that's how it was with us and Jesus. Like we, we owed a debt. We, we all sinned. We all made mistakes and if we, if Jesus would have cling to what we owed him, well, you owe me. You made a mistake. You did this wrong. You did that wrong. You owe me something. There's no way that he could have fulfilled his purpose. There's no way we could have had relationship with him. And so if you hold things against your spouse and, and there's this debt and you hold on to what is rightfully due to you, and for some of you, yeah, you rightfully deserve the apology. You rightfully deserve for them to make changes. You deserve those things. But what, what Paul's saying here is you can't have it both ways. You can't have a healthy relationship and hold on to all of your rights. If you want a lasting love, part of you is going to have to die, just like Jesus. That you're going to have to give up your rights and what's due to you. That you're going to have to submit. We can't have it both ways. We can't have relationship and our rights. And Jesus opted for relationship over rights. And so we, too, have to do the same thing in our relationships. And it's only when two people come together with this attitude that I will mutually submit and surrender my rights to you as you submit and surrender your rights to me that we can have a powerful, life-giving relationship the way that God wants us to be. See, the reason that you can have relationship with your Heavenly Father is because Jesus submitted himself on your behalf. And he paved the way so that you could be forgiven. And we too have to do the same thing in our relationships. But it's tough, isn't it? It's hard to do. It's hard to live that out. But the requirement to have a love that lasts, to have a relationship that, that goes the distance, is opting for relationship over rights. And that means you're going to have to allow part of yourself to die. You're going to have to submit that to the Lord and to each other. But how do we do that? How can we really submit the way God wants us to, to do for each other? How do we love that way. There's a few things today that I quickly want to go through, and I, I would say the first thing is this. In order to mutually submit in this way, and we talked last week, right? Please watch last week. You got to have, you and God got to be in relationship. You got to be surrendered to him. You have to be connecting with him. Then we can mutually submit together. So what we need to do first is seek God alone and together. So you're seeking God alone on your own time. You're establishing your relationship with him. You're constantly surrendering yourself to the Holy Spirit, dying to yourself in that relationship, allowing the Spirit to guide and control your life. Then you need to serve and seek God together as a couple. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 19. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the very beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united as one. There's that language again. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has put together. So again, Jesus being at the center of your life, but also at the center of your relationship. We can't leave God out of the process of our relationships. 
God created them, and we need to allow him to be a part of that process. And in order for your relationship to work, we have to let the one who designed them define them to show us how to love each other. Statistics say right now that in secular world, in church world alike, that the divorce rate is over 50%. So 50% of all couples who get married end in divorce. And no one goes into a marriage thinking, yeah, eventually we're not going to make it. Eventually this, isn't, this is going to fall apart and, 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 and we're, not gonna, we're gonna throw in the towel on this thing. No one does that. And today, listen, I want you to know, if, if you were in a relationship, if you were in a marriage and it ended in divorce, that, that God is bigger than that, that his grace is bigger than that, that he forgives you, he loves you, we learn from it, but we don't live in it. We move forward into what God has for us. And so today, I don't want any of you who have, who have fallen short in the areas of your relationship to feel any condemnation at all. There's no condemnation from Jesus, only grace, only what you need to help you into your future. So forgiveness is available for you. But what we can do is learn and be better for the next time, right? We can learn from our mistakes and move forward so that we are prepared for what God has for us in our future. So today, I, I, I just wanted to say that. But if 50% of marriages end divorce, there's a survey that was done that said that you can lower those odds to 1%. How many of you would take that? To 1% with one simple thing that you can do. One simple thing. So according to the survey done by Family Life, it said this, fewer than 8% of Christian couples pray together on a regular basis. Fewer than 8%. And of those couples that do, pray together on a regular basis, fewer than 1% of them end in divorce. That's amazing. What's alarming is the the 8% to me. And I get the struggle. I understand how difficult it is to find that time sometimes to just sit with each other and pray. I have a four and six-year-old. And praying with your kids doesn't count, okay? By the way, can can I just say, I don't know if it's like for you, I'm a pastor And it's hard to get my kids to pray before they go to bed. This is one of the most challenging things. So if you have any tips on that and you want to help me, because, you know, my kids will be, it's it's so simple. We we need you, what is one thing you're thankful for and what's one thing we can pray about? Who's one person we pray for? And they'll sit there and scratch their head. I don't know what I'm thankful for. You're, what? Let me remind you, okay? How about that you just ate dinner, okay? How about that you have a bed to sleep in? How about this? And they'll be like, well, I'm not thankful for that. I don't, you know, I don't know what I'm thankful for. <laughs> and then it's like, then we get to the frustration point. I go, oh, okay, I don't care. Just pray for something. Okay, Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. I'm thankful for nothing. Amen. That's really what my kids do. Frustrating. So frustrating. So Jess and I have to pray after we pray. But for our kids, just God help us with these children. You know, it's challenging. But you have to find the time to pray for each other. It's hard to be mad at someone you're praying for. It's always amazing to me when I, when Jess and I get to that point, I say, babe, what can I pray for you about today? What can I pray for you? I'll be like, she'll tell me. I'll go, I didn't even know you were struggling with that. I didn't even know that was going on. When you're communicating, you're talking with, you're praying with each other. And they say, statistics say, if you do that on a regular basis, that you will lower the odds of divorce down to 1%. And we have some resources available. Some of you go, I don't even know where to start with that. 
you know, we're new in our faith, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, I get it. It can be a little challenging, it can be a little awkward at first. I would encourage you to go to our website, go to the next steps portion right at the top and scroll down to the bottom and there's a place that you can sign up for Right Now Media and that's like Christian Netflix, okay? And on there they have all kinds of devotionals and videos and things that you can do with your spouse that talks about marriage, it gives you questions to ask each other, things to focus your prayers on when you do that. That is a free resource that the church pays for that's available to you. So take advantage of that. But do that. Buy a couple's devotional. They lead you through things that you can do, that how you can pray for each other, how you can strengthen your relationship together. So we have to be doing those things. We have to seek God alone. That's so important. But we also have to seek God together. We have to be determined to make that a priority in our relationships. And that's part of mutually submitting. It's taking that time to seek God together. And as we do that, it's easier to submit to one another. So that's the first thing we got to do. The second thing we got to do is celebrate differences. Celebrate them, right? When I was growing up, we used to say this, don't hate, celebrate, right? You see, but what I want to do with the differences between me and Jess is I want to hate on them because I don't like them because she's different than me. Thank God she's different than me, okay? Amen, Amen, right? Thank the Lord she's different from me. Because if we were both alike, it would be a rough place at our house. You know what I mean? My kids would would run away, right? They They would get out of there. I'm very different than Jess. And it's easy for me, and it's easy for you, and it's easy for her to look at the areas where I'm different than her and how she wishes I was different, how I wishes she was different. It's just the way we are. And last week we talked about that. If you put all of your effort and energy in trying to make your spouse change, it doesn't help you at all. It's just annoying. <laughs> That's all it is. And so we have to embrace those differences and celebrate them and be willing to put what they like and what they desire over ourselves. That's mutually submitting. That's celebrating differences. In Philippians 2, again, where Paul was describing what Jesus did for us, he said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take interest in others too. And that's easy to say for the person who sits across from us at work that we only have to see for a little bit of the day. Oh, Lord, I'm totally willing to default to what they need today. I will put them above myself. I will not, you know, I will not eat their lunch in the break room today. You know what I mean? Like, like we think of those things outside. Apply this scripture to your relationship, to your spouse. Don't be selfish Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of your spouse as better than you. Don't just look out for your own interests, but take interest in your spouse as well, in what they want. What this is saying is, to mutually submit, we celebrate differences, and we value our spouse and their interests over our own. We put them first. All that I am for all that you need me to be. How can I serve you today? How can I make your life better? How can I help you? Putting your interests first. The problem is, is that in order to do that, we have to deny ourselves. Because I'm only interested in the things that interest me, right? I'm not interested in the Hallmark movies at Christmas time. Zero interest. Just hates watching them with me because I'll say, oh, five minutes into it, I'll tell you exactly how this movie's going to play out and end. They all end the same way. 
right? That's just how it is. We still got those movies on our DVR. They're, they're waiting. I said, babe, those have expired. That's out of season now. We don't have to spend any time watching those. Just delete those off the DVR. Because I'm not interested in that. And she's not interested in, in sports necessarily. She doesn't like watching sports as much as I do. But in order to mutually submit, I have to take interest not only in the things I'm interested in, but what she's interested in, and vice versa. She does the same for me. And that takes an intentional choice where you learn how to. It doesn't come naturally. You learn how to express, express interest in the things the one you love is interested in. You learn how to do that. It takes intentionality. And if you think back far enough, you already know how to do this because you did it when you fell in love. Because you said you were interested in things that you were not interested in and you pretended to be interested in things that you were not interested in so that you could win their affection and their love. That's what you did, right? Oh, you love that band? Me too, they're great. You go home that night, you figure out who that band is and learn a couple of their songs. That's what you do. Oh, you love that show? Me too. It's one of my favorite things. I love this. We're so compatible. We should get married, right? That's what we do. And then we get married and we go, oh yeah, I was lying. I don't like any of that stuff that you like. (laughs) But you have to make a choice to do that. Continue to do that. Continue to celebrate differences. And we do that by placing value in what they're interested in and what they enjoy. But we're very different people. We're very different creatures in general, the way that we're wired and created. And so we have to make sure that we make intentional choices to do that. Celebrate those things. Don't hate on them. Celebrate them. Thank the Lord that you're different. Thank the Lord that they have strengths that you don't have. Thank the Lord that they're strong where you're weak. That's a great thing about how uh, a marriage can complement each other. So we do that. We seek God alone together. We have to do that. It's so important. We celebrate differences. And third thing today that we need to do in, in mutually submitting to each other and to make the relationship work is you have to be willing to fuel the fire. Both of you got to be willing to fuel the fire. You see, love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice that we make. It's an action. It's a decision that we make. And a lot of times we, we think back to those vows that we make and we think that the fire, the passion, is going to make those vows doable. Well, I love you so much. I'm so passionate that I'm going to be willing to, to, to keep up my end of the deal. And that's just not it. Love doesn't make the commitment last. Commitment makes the love last. It's being committed. It's making a choice And you cannot qualify your love based on what you feel because you're not always going to feel it. And so you have to be willing to fuel the fire. you got to be willing to make love an action that continues to happen in your relationship. Colossians 3.14, Paul said it like this. He said, over all these virtues, put on love. Another translation says, clothe yourself in love. That you literally have to put love on And he says, and this binds all these other things in perfect unity. That you put on love, it's a choice, it's a verb, it's an action. It's something that you do. When you go, well, hey, the fire's out in my house. Fire's out in our relationship. Well, there once was a fire. What do you need to do to get it going again? What happened? Was it life? Was it kids? Was something once was there? And I just want to say this. This is the, the easiest thing that pulls away from the passion of a relationship is kids let's just be honest they get in the way don't they mine do they get in the way and it's difficult sometimes to keep it about me and Jess when when they're always there they're always in the mix of things but I want to say this the children 
have to remain the product of your affection and your spouse needs to remain the object of your affection, okay? Your ch- the children are a product of your affection. But if we're not careful, they can become the product and the object of our affection. And we see this play out all the time. You see a couple that their kids graduate and get off into college and all of a sudden they, they part ways. And you're like, man, they made it all that time and then they just like this? Why? Because the kids were the object of their affection. And when you removed the kids from the relationship, there was nothing left. And so you got to make sure that you fuel that fire, that the kids are definitely a big part of your life, but you have to keep that fire going. If you want what you once had, you need to do what you once did. See, earlier I said, if you want something you've never had, you have to be willing to do something you've never done. But if you want something that you once had, do what you once did. When was the fire burning? What did it take to keep the fire burning? Well, we, had, we didn't have kids and we didn't this. Make the time. Figure out what you need to do. Now, you can't think about, think about a fireplace, right? And you light a fire, and I'm not saying a gas fire, a wood-burning fireplace, okay? I know it's my house, you flip the switch and it just does its thing, right? But a wood-burning fireplace, for that fire to stay alive, someone has to go chop wood. Someone has to go get the wood and bring it into the house. Someone has to set up the wood and put some kindling there and, and start the fire and blow on it and breathe life into it until it gets going. And then boom, it's ignited and it's great. And that's what happens. We put in, we date, we get ready, we get married, this fire takes off and then we have kids and then someone forgets to chop wood. And no one's putting wood back onto the fire and no one's fanning the flame of the relationship and so the fire begins to burn out. And so if you want what you once had, be willing to do what you once did. Listen, it takes work to make it work. Your marriage isn't just going to happen and be blessed and fruitful and passionate and fun just by chance. It takes two people mutually submitting to each other and putting in the work to make it work. Both people fueling the fire. You got to make sure you schedule in date nights and date days and you hang out and you do stuff alone and, and you go and have fun together and watch a movie, watch her show, watch his sporting event, do things together. Fuel the fire. And I would say this, you have to make sure that you get FaceTime with each other. They say in relationships you can either be back to back, which is at odds, there's tension, there's conflict. You can be side to side, your partner's or you can be face to face. And in our culture, in the world we live in, a lot of people are just side to side. They've become good partners in raising children together. And their whole life revolves around their kids and their sporting events and their activities and their schedules. And so the relationship gets lost in the shuffle. You don't have time for for each other because all of your time is spent in this side to side and you're great partners. You've got great kids and they're successful and Tommy's succeeding in the, the traveling soccer league and your daughter's in the gymnastics and you guys spend all of your time getting your kids to every event and everything they need to be at and you never make time for yourself. And the fire's out. And I would say this, and you go, well, our kids are important. I, I get that. But the best thing you can do for your kids is to take time for you to take time to fuel the fire, to keep the passion alive, to do those things. And in order to get face-to-face, you've got to schedule that time in. You've got to make it a priority. 
you got to communicate with each other. And communication is always key in, in the health of any relationship. I was reading a survey this week, a stats that says that the average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. I was like, that's pretty impressive, right? Good for you, ladies. That's pretty amazing that you can, you can do that. You want to take a guess at what the average man is? 15. Half as much. Half as much. And here's, the, here's, here's the, the tension with Jess and I sometimes, is that Jess raises our kids, she's home with them, and then she also watches some other kids part-time. And so Jess saves up a large portion of those 30,000 words for me. And I use a large portion of mine in my job, and what I do, I'm meeting with people. and having. So when I get home, I'm out of words, and she's got a ton of them ready to go. And the easiest things for me is like, babe, can we just keep it to headlines today? Headlines, you know, you know. How was your day? Good? Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Kids good? Yeah. No one fine. Anything I need to do? You know, but that's not healthy relationship, right? That's what I want. I just want headlines. She wants details. Let's talk. Tell me, how was your meeting today? Oh, it went really well. Yeah, it went great. Well, what did they say? Uh, I'm out of words today. I already used them. <laughs> If you want to hold that question until tomorrow morning, I may have some more, you know, that I can spend here, you know. And that's the challenge is that we want that. And listen, men, let me tell you something. The most romantic words you can say to your wife is this right here. Really? And then what happened? <laughs> that's good, isn't it? I've been saving that one for you all week. And then what happened? But it takes intentionality. It takes effort to fuel the fire. It's not going to feed itself. And we have to be intentional with intimacy. Married couples, listen, be intentional with intimacy. Sex isn't, wasn't just created for pleasure. That's part of it. God created sex. He said it was good. It's definitely for pleasure. But it's also the physical act that unites you two spiritually. It's the physical act of the two becoming one. Joining your lives together. It's a spiritual union that happens. And that's key in intimacy. The key to, to being intimate and having that type of depth to your relationship is you've got to be intentional with it. You've got to schedule it in. Listen. Look, keep the romance alive. Do what you can do. Let's just be realistic. If you have children and you have a job and you have a lot going on, you've got to schedule it in. Get the Disney Junior app on your iPads. Lock the kid in their room. And be intentional. Do what you need to do, but keep that an active part of your life. It's easy to get distracted from that. And we got to build it in. So important in mutually submitting to each other is that we take the time to communicate, that we take the time to get away from being side to side, that we get face to face, that we communicate, that we're seeking God together, we're praying together. We're mutually submitting our desires that we both enter the relationship with the mindset of how can I help you how can I make your day better and as we do that and we submit to that and as we're faithful to the word of God I believe that God will be faithful to your relationship and to your marriage and he'll begin to breathe life back into it and as you do what you need to do God will do what he needs to do to make it work we got to be committed to that the band's coming we're closing out Galatians 6 7 Paul said this, he said, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 
And we know that principle. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You reap where you sow. And you always hear people when the relationship is struggling and, and it's easy to look at someone else's relationship. It's easy to look outside of, of your context and say, well, the grass is greener over there. And the grass is always greener on the other side. But when it comes to the vow that you made, listen, we got to get back to that. The commitment we made was that in sickness and in health, in the good times and the bad times, we made this commitment. And if the commitment is struggling, if the relationship is struggling, don't jump the fence. Look, the grass is always going to look greener on the other side. But don't jump the fence. Just start watering your grass. Start fertilizing your own yard. Start putting in the work that it takes to make a relationship work. Fuel the fire. Go start chopping wood again. Start scheduling date nights. Start scheduling face-to-face time. Pray together. Seek God together. you got to be willing to invest in your marriage and what you invest into it. Scripture says, where you reap, you will sow. So if the relationship is struggling, figure out what you need to do to invest into the relationship. You want your wife to respect you? Start respecting her. You want your husband to start loving you? Start loving him. And at the end of the day, we got to take ownership for our half of the better half. It takes two, but it starts with you. You take ownership for you. And as a couple, we come together, united with Jesus at the center, and we take ownership for our marriage. And the reality is, is your marriage will be as good as you want it to be. It'll be as good as you want it to be if you're willing to put in the work. And I would say today, be willing to do it. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. There isn't a series or a message that I prepare that brings me more conviction than this one because I I drop the ball so much in this area. And it's a challenge with two small kids and a growing church and the busyness of what we have. But the best thing I can do for this church, the best thing I can do for my kids is to love my wife the way Jesus loved me. And there's no greater picture. There's no greater reflection of the love of God than a healthy couple mutually submitting to each other, loving one another, putting the other needs first. It's a beautiful picture to the world of what it looks like to be in union with Christ. That's what he did for you. He submitted himself on your behalf. He gave up his rights so that he could have relationship. He couldn't have it both ways. And you and I can't either. And look, I know it's hard. I know for some of you, you go like, I just don't know if I have the energy. I, don't, I just don't know if I feel like putting in the work anymore. Well, what other area of your life do you have that option? Being married and committing to being married is the most is the, is the biggest decision in your life other than accepting Christ. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And so what other area of your life that's that important that you, do you have the option to go, I don't feel like it? I did my taxes this week. Let me tell you, I didn't feel like it. I did them though. Took in, my kids to lunch and got them fed and put in the work and bath time. I don't ever feel like bath time. Do you guys with your kids? never feel like it, but I do it. I don't always feel like obeying the law. I think some of the laws we have are ridiculous, but I do it. Since when is not feeling it 
give us the option to just quit throwing the towel. So no matter what you feel today, let's be willing to put in the work. Is it hard? Yes. Having a healthy, life-giving marriage is probably one of the hardest things you'll do in this life. But it's worth it. It's not as hard as a bad marriage. It's not as hard and as messy as a divorce. It's worth it. We got to take that mentality and do it. It's so hard, but it's worth it. And listen, it's a decision that you make, whether your spouse makes it or not, because you're not doing it necessarily for them. You're submitting to one another because Jesus did it for you. And it's the key. You go, well, that, I don't know if I, that's where you start. You handle you. You let God handle them. And I believe if we take that approach, we begin to lead by example. We begin to love the way that Jesus loved us. You'll start seeing the changes that you want to see. It takes two, but it starts with you. And I believe when we submit ourselves to God, we surrender our lives to him, and we mutually submit to one another in a relationship, that it can be a powerful, life-giving thing if you're willing to put in the work to do it.